It's my privilege to be, open, to be able to open God's word with you here this morning. So please turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. While you are turning there, I'm going to try to bring us up to speed a little bit with the context of where we are in the Gospel of John. Chapter 7 was all about the Feast of Tabernacles. And prior to the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus had been limiting his travels to Galilee, which is in the north, and he had been avoiding um, Judea, which is the southern part of Israel, because there the Jews were trying to kill him. The last time Jesus was in Jerusalem in chapter 5, he had healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath, and when confronted about that, he defended himself by claiming equality with God. Well, the religious leaders were furious with Jesus and sought to kill him. Then in chapter 7, we see the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And the big question was, will Jesus go up to the feast? This is the most popular feast on the Jewish calendar. And Jesus' brothers, who at that time did not even believe in him, they challenged Jesus to go to Jerusalem, to make himself known openly. But Jesus refused to go and said that it was not the right time. Later, however, he did end up going to the feast privately, but he was not ready to show himself publicly yet. Then about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and boldly began to teach. Jesus wasn't afraid of the religious leaders. He was just waiting for the right time. And many believed in Jesus because of the signs that he had done. And although the religious leaders were seeking to kill Jesus, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Well, then on the last day of the feast, Jesus cried out in the temple that anyone who thirsts should come to him and drink. And basically, he's once again claiming equality with God. Just as you would pray to God and ask for rain, Jesus says, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink and be satisfied, and I will give you living water. Well, chapter 8 picks up with Jesus still in Jerusalem. This is at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And he's going to continue his exchanges with the Jews and the Jewish leaders. Although there is a little bit of a shift in chapter 8 in that before... He was teaching, and they were coming and asking questions. Well, now Jesus is going to direct it a little bit in chapter 8, and he's going to make four strong statements about himself that challenge the Jews, offering them hope or judgment. So let's look at those four statements today. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a powerful statement. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This is the second of the great I am statements that we see in the Gospel of John. In, in John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Here he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus isn't claiming just to be light in the temple or just light in Jerusalem or just the light in Israel. He says, I am the light of the world. And as John does so frequently in his gospel, he puts together the idea of light and life. The light gives life. Turn back to chapter 1 and see how John introduces us to Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 4, John says of Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Let's go back to chapter 8. We could look at many, many different places in the Gospel of John where he talks about Jesus being light. But for sake of time today, let's look at the promise that Jesus makes here. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We can experience the light by following Jesus. We can experience life by following Jesus. Now, all my life, as long as I can remember, I've always seen this verse as just an incredibly positive, you know, statement of hope that Jesus is the light of the world, right? Come to him. You won't be in darkness. You'll have the light of life. But as I was studying for this sermon, I realized that in this context, with this group of people, the statement is actually a statement of judgment because they are not following Jesus, which means they are walking in darkness and do not have life. Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. I want to turn back to John chapter 3. Here's another statement from John about Jesus and light. John chapter 3, verse 19. John says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We're going to see in our passage today that this group of people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. It's going to come out very clearly. So look at how they respond in verse 13. So the Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. The Jews, or I should say specifically the Pharisees, they try to discredit what Jesus has said. They accuse him of bearing witness about himself and just automatically dismissing it and saying that's not true. Now, I wonder if they're taking Jesus' words that he has told them before and they're throwing them back at Jesus. I'm not sure, but it's really close to what Jesus said in chapter 5, verse 31. So turn back. Chapter 5, verse 31, this is where Jesus has healed the paralyzed man, and he's defending his claim of equality with God. There in verse 31, Jesus says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. But what Jesus is saying in that passage was he wasn't saying that he couldn't bear witness about himself. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself. But then he calls forth, for witnesses to verify that what he's saying is true. He has the witnesses to back up what he's saying. So if that's where this is coming from, then the Pharisees have mistaken Jesus. He never said that he couldn't bear witness about himself or that if he bore witness about himself that it wasn't true. So let's look and see how Jesus responds in verse 14. 
Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So Jesus defends his statement. He says, my testimony is true. And how does he support that? He says, well, you don't know where I've come from. You don't know where I'm going. He says, I know where I come from. I know where I'm going. Where did Jesus come from? He came from the Father, full of grace and truth, right? Jesus, the Word of God, the eternal Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the only one of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus knows where he's come from, but they don't understand where he's come from. In fact, they're judging according to the flesh. They're only looking at this on a purely, from a purely human perspective, and they're missing a lot. So where do they think Jesus is from? All they see is a man from Galilee who could never be a prophet, right? He's from Galilee. Could never be the Messiah from Galilee. They see a man who we don't even know who his father is. This is all they see. They're, they're judging him from a human perspective. But Jesus insists, my testimony is true. Second, Jesus says, my judgment is true. Why does he make that claim? Well, he says, it's not just my judgment. It's also the judgment of the father who sent me. So my testimony is true. My judgment is true. And third, he says, the testimony of two people is true. Even in your law, even in your law, the testimony of, of two people is true. And Jesus says, I bear witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So what I'm saying is true. Well, look how they respond in verse 19. Verse 19, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Jesus doesn't answer their question, where is your father? But what Jesus does is he makes another one of those incredible, exclusive claims that he makes over and over in the Gospel of John about himself. We had, you can find in chapter 14 where Jesus will say, you can't come to the Father unless you come through me. Or in chapter 5, Jesus said, you can't honor the Father if you don't honor me. Here Jesus is saying, you can't know the Father unless you know me. So Jesus is continuing here, but this first dialogue ends with a comment from the narrator. John tells us something about what's going on in verse 20. John writes, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus is openly teaching in the temple, and there's nothing that they can do about it. 
We saw this statement in chapter 7, verse 30. These Jewish religious authorities are helpless to stop Jesus. And what John is doing here in his gospel is he is emphasizing Jesus' authority that even in the domain of the Jewish authorities, in the temple, Jesus cannot be seized, and Jesus is the authority, not them. So after making a first bold statement about being the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life, Jesus makes a second bold statement, this time with a heavier dose of judgment, although he still does offer hope. Look at verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus makes this statement saying that they're going to die in their sins. He's going to go away. They won't be able to come with him. They're going to die in their sins. But they focus entirely on Jesus going away part. That's the part they, they talk to him about. They completely ignore the part about dying in their sins. Now, Jesus had made a similar statement in chapter 7, verses 33 and 34, about going away and them not being able to come with him. And at that time, they assumed that he was talking about going to the Gentiles, because they would never go to the Gentiles, right? But here, they suggest that, is Jesus intending to kill himself? Now, their question is probably intended to slander him. Um, Edward Klink says, Suicide in Judaism was abhorred and considered to be the act of an insane person. But ironically, and this happens a lot in the Gospel of John, ironically, their suggestion turns out to be almost prophetic. Look at chapter 10, verse 18, where Jesus describes his own life, and he says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So their suggestion almost ends up being prophetic because Jesus will willingly lay down his life as a sacrifice for sin. But he is not going to commit suicide. So it's different. Well, Jesus explains himself in verse 23. He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus tells them that they, that he has been sent from heaven, from the Father. He is different from them. He is not part of this world, but they are part of this world. They are in conscious rebellion against their creator. And here he does give them a bit of hope because he says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So it's still the statement of judgment saying you're going to die in your sins, but there is an out. If they would believe in him, then they wouldn't have to die in their sins. 
Now, at this point in the text, it's not clear what Jesus is saying they should, what he, what he thinks they should believe about him when he says, unless you believe, I am. So there's a lot of conversation. What does he mean by that statement? And because it will become clear in the end, I want to just keep going through the statement and see how it plays out throughout the passage. In fact, we can see how they respond in the very next verse. Verse 25, so they said to him, who are you? So this is just as confusing to them. What what does Jesus mean when he says, unless you believe, I am? Well, Jesus answers. Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. So now Jesus says that the one who sent him is true. Now, I don't know if you've been tracking all these statements that Jesus is making here, but in verse 14, he said, my testimony is true. Verse 16, he said, my judgment is true. In verse 17, he says, the testimony of two people is true. And here in verse 26, he's saying, he who sent me is true. So Jesus insists that what he says is what he hears from the one who sent him. He's not out there with his own message to promote himself. He simply speaks what he hears. And what he speaks is true because the one who sent him is true. Well, in verse 27, John says that they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus says that even though they don't understand now, there will be a day when the Jews will know the truth. When? He says, when they have lifted up the Son of Man. Now, Klink says, this statement is a paradox, combining the most humiliating and cruel act the ancient world could devise, crucifixion, with a title the Son of Man that incorporates all the power, glory, and authority of God himself. So Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know. What will they know? They will know that I am. Again, it's an undefined title. What exactly does Jesus mean? Let's just keep going. But they're going to know that he is. And they're also going to know that he doesn't do anything on his own authority, but he only speaks what he hears from the Father. Jesus is repeating this over and over and over throughout this text, that what he hears, that's what he speaks. He speaks what he hears from the one who sent him. He speaks what he hears from the Father. But he also adds this nugget, that the one who sent him is with him. Now, what was true in John 1, 1, in the beginning, when the Word was with God, even before the Word became flesh, came to earth, okay, all during Jesus' life and ministry, we find out that the Father is with him. 
He never leaves the Son, and the Son always does what is pleasing to the Father. That was the nature of their relationship. The Father is with the Son, and the Son does what is pleasing to the Father. Well, this second dialogue ends with another comment from the narrator. John tells us in verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, I've had to kind of speed along in this message just a little bit because this would have been the natural breaking spot if I was going to put chapter 8 in half. But this is not a good place to stop. So we are doing all of chapter 8. Because it seems like this would be a great thing, right? Many believed in him. But if we keep going, we find out that it's not really what we think it is. And we've actually seen something similar to this. In chapter 2, verse 23, there were many people in Jerusalem that believed in Jesus when they saw the signs he did. But it turned out to be a fickle faith, as Carson calls it. And Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was going on with them. And on this occasion in Jerusalem, many believed as a result of what he was saying. And while it should be a good thing, if we keep reading, we see that it really wasn't such a good thing. So let's continue on with the third powerful statement that Jesus makes. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here Jesus is specifically talking to the ones who have believed in him. And so again, this third powerful statement, it offers great hope that if they would abide in his word, they're truly his disciples. They'll know the truth. The truth will set them free. These are great things, right? But we will soon see that what Jesus is offering is not what they are looking for. And so this statement, again, it ultimately, it ultimately becomes a statement of judgment for them because they will not continue in his word. In fact, they take offense at what he said. Look at verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? How could Jesus set them free? They've never been enslaved to anyone, they insist. Now, it seems unlikely that they are talking about political subjection here because they have been slaves to many nations. And, in, and even at this time, they're under Roman rule. But most likely what they're talking about is spiritual freedom. And just as the Jews considered themselves to be whole and without need of a physician, Mark 2.17, here they are convinced that they are free and therefore need no liberation. But Jesus answers their question. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So here, Jesus starts by saying, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
the very law of God that made the Jewish people a unique people in the world, it should have shown them their similarity to the world. It should have been through the law that they became conscious of their sin, Romans 3.20. And yet, they don't believe that they need to be liberated. They think they are fine. And Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The freedom that Jesus offers is liberation from enslavement to self-interest and to the devil. It's a freedom that turns slaves into sons. It turns those who are in the household of the devil to those who will become eternal members of the household of the Father. Jesus acknowledges that they are offspring of Abraham, but he says, my word has no place in you. You're trying to kill me. He says, you are revealing who your real father is. Just as all along Jesus is speaking what he hears from his father, he says the same thing is true of them. You are doing what you have heard from your father. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. So Jesus once again tells them that you are seeking to kill me even though I have told you the truth. I have told you what I have heard from God. And if you, if you notice, there's a subtle shift here where all along Jesus has been insisting, I speak what I hear from the one who sent me. I speak what I hear from my father. But here he plainly identifies that I speak what I hear from God. He directly identifies that it is God who speaks to him and who he is obeying. We'll look at verse 41. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. They insist that they are not illegitimate children. That didn't go so well for them when they were talking about being children of Abraham. So now they switch a little bit and they're like, no, well, we have one father and it's God. Well, look how Jesus responds to that in verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? 
Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Powerful words here. Jesus says, you, God is not your father. If God were your father, you would love me because I came from God. God sent me. And Jesus points out their lack of understanding Jesus is because they can't bear to hear his word. Just as in verse 37, Jesus says, my word finds no place in you. And this is the opposite of what a true disciple is, as we heard in verse 31, where he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. They cannot bear to hear his word. They are not his disciples. Jesus goes on to say that their father is the devil. And the proof is they are just like him. He is a murderer. They want to murder Jesus. He does not stand the truth. And Jesus says, because I'm telling you the truth, you don't believe me because you can't stand the truth, just like your father, the devil. And they want to kill Jesus, but who can convict him of sin? Who can prove him guilty of sin? And the answer is no one. And so we have Jesus' conclusion in verse 47 that whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus has severely insulted the Jews. He told them that they are not of God. He told them they needed to be set free from sin. He told them that they are of their father, the devil, and that they are just like him. But Jesus told the truth. Well, in verse 48, the Jews push back against Jesus, as you can imagine. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Jesus doesn't respond to their charge of being a Samaritan, but he denies the charge of having a demon. Jesus says, I honor my father, and you dishonor me. So by extension, he's saying, you dishonor the father. Jesus is not seeking his own glory. Any glory he gets comes from the father who seeks his glory. And his father is the judge. Well, in verse 51, we're going to see Jesus' fourth and final bold statement in this passage. Look at verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What a powerful statement. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. 
Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus, in this passage, they, they're, getting, they're getting, they're grasping how big these statements are that he's making. And so now they're asking this question, well, are you greater than our father Abraham then? And, and for sake of time, we won't look at it today, but you might just mentally or write down somewhere in chapter 4, verse 12, the Samaritan woman asked a similar question when she asked Jesus, are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? Well, the answer there was yes. And here the, with the question, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And you say that if someone keeps your word, they will never die? Well, the answer is yes. But let's keep going to see how Jesus responds. Um, sorry, I lost my place. Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus ends this whole conversation with the most powerful claim of all. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. All throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has claimed a close connection to the one who sent him, to his Father, to God. He always does what is pleasing to the Father. He speaks what he hears from the Father. But here, as Jesus concludes this exchange, for the first time, he clearly answers who he is. He is deity. He is God. He takes the same name as God took for himself when he revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. This is a straightforward answer from Jesus about who he is. And the Jews understand immediately what he is saying. Look at verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They picked up stones to throw at Jesus because they understood the claim that Jesus was making. I mean, this is why they have been seeking to kill Jesus since chapter 5, because he made himself equal with God. But as has been mentioned, even in this passage today, it is not his hour yet. There will be a day when Jesus will willingly lay down his life and they will lift up the Son of Man on the cross. But not today. Jesus slips away from them because he is in control. So in our passage today, 
Jesus makes these four strong statements about himself. These are statements of great hope or judgment, depending on how you respond to them. So what will you do? Will you follow Jesus or will you die in your sins? Will you abide in his word, demonstrating that you are truly his disciple? Will you keep his word? I just want to encourage you today that we have nowhere else to go. Jesus has the words of eternal life. There may be some here today who have just graduated from high school or college. And I ask you, as you go out on your own, will you continue to follow Jesus? There may be others today who have been isolated from the church body for the past year because of COVID. And so I ask you, will you continue to follow Jesus? Will you continue in his word? Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus, who came to earth and took on flesh, and he always did what you wanted him to do, but ultimately what he did was he made himself a sacrifice for our sin. So Father, we are so thankful for the gift of life that we can have in Christ. And even as the Gospel of John says that if anyone will receive him and believe in his name, that person has the right to become a child of God. Father, I pray if, if there's anyone today here who does not know Christ as Savior, that today would be the day to trust him, to realize that Jesus is our only hope for life. Father, I pray if, if there are any struggling in the faith, not sure whether to press on or to turn back, Father, I pray that you would strengthen all of us to follow Jesus, to walk with Jesus. We have no other hope. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your work in our lives. We pray that you will continue that work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And um, I want to close by reading Romans 11, beginning at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You are dismissed.